every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hey everybody, Aaron Noonan, welcome along. Great to have you with me, V8 Sleuth Podcast for another week. You know what? We had so much great feedback last week on part one of my chat with Greg Crick. We thought we'd roll out parts two and three together. So this is part two. Once you get through this one, part three is ready and waiting. In this part of the pod, we talk about a wide range of topics, including Cricky's feelings on Target Tasmania, the event that he won the first two runnings of in 92 and 93. He talks more about that in part one. If you haven't heard it, go and have a listen. He also talks on this part, though, about why Target Tassie will never be the same again. We talk about his Pinnacle Motorsport chapter, racing the Elcare Commodore, driving for Keys and Paul Wheel, as well as how and why it all went wrong with Stone Brothers Racing in what would have been and should have been the greatest opportunity of his career. We cover the end of his Bathurst 1000 times and the mighty Nations Cup Dodge Viper. So let's barrel in, buckle up, time to start part two of Greg Crick on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Any memories that come to mind of particular stages? Because some of those stages in Targets from those years were famous because they were, you know, say the name of them and people know yeah. exactly the road, exactly the length, exactly the style of, of road. Was there a particular favourite in those Targets that oh, you just Oh, there were a couple. I, I, I spun it because I was overdriving it because it was felt like a toy to me and I was driving it very hard. And if you're breaking into a corner and trying to turn at the same time, it was one of those, you know, front-wheel drive quirks. You'd, you could easily spin it when you had the weight off the rear wheels. And I think I spun it on the first day, just on never left the road, but spun and, and didn't really lose anything. And then um, it just went on. The West Coast was the one where it was wet. And I think it was Mount Black where we were second fastest at Jim Richards in a four-wheel drive turbo Porsche and everyone else was kicking up a stink. And, and Peter Fitzgerald was one saying that time can't be right. <laughs> He's kind of road somewhere. We actually passed you in the stage, <laughs> so it was um, it was quite unique. And then uh, it was I'd never driven a car so hard in Target because I'd always said that you've got to drive at eight tenths if you want to stay alive. You make one mistake and you're dead. Um, and you know I still say to this day that bitumen rallies are the most dangerous motorsport event you can probably do because of the speed and the proximity of trees and forests and all that sort of thing. And I always drove in reserve, but I must admit that in that car I was probably a little bit overconfident because it was a smaller, slower car, and I, I probably drove that at 10 tenths, I think. As someone who's had, you know, your, your Tassie boy, that event's a special thing in your motorsport yeah. life. Yeah. 
where did it sort of lose? Do you think it lost its way further on down the track where the 100%. cars got too yeah. powerful? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've ended up in a situation yeah. now with, you know, there's been some fatalities and motorsport's dangerous whether yeah. you're on a you know, tarmac rally or a racetrack. That's, mm. that's how it is. But where do you think it kind of went too far along the way? Because those that first probably... I don't know, 10, 15 years, yeah. big name drivers, yeah. manufacturers sending support and cars mm. and crews and really using the event as a platform. But then it kind of faded away, still there and still popular and mm. still lots of competitors. But the big names stopped running and the manufacturers weren't really supporting it. But there were still some wild cars there. You got a, you got a feel on where it kind of lost its way and how it. Yeah, I mean, a, this it, is did just, it lose its way, I guess is my gut question. feeling is that, that like it had an absolute uniqueness that John Large created by saying you have to have a unique car. And the day they let the Mitsubishi Evos and the, the four-wheel drive Subarus in, there was 150 of those, was the day it started to die. It wasn't unique Because anymore. everybody ran the same type they of car because the they wanted cars. four-wheel drive. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Mm. They all ran the same cars but still, you know, it's gone on and there's been some fantastic cars like the Vipers and that that have, have done so well in the last few years that... Um, it's just, I think that's where it lost its way. Mm. Can it find its way again? No. We're, we're sort of that era's gone. That I think the era's gone. Style I of think it's finished. I, I think the style of the event, it, you know, with the with the risk factor now and the number of people that have been injured, it's, it's sad to say that I don't think it'll ever be able to be the same again. Mm. Is it worth having? In a modified, oh, slowed yeah. down yeah, look, form. People, it's a wonderful advertisement yeah, for Tasmania for is. those communities that the event travels through. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice to see it get back to a point where some of the name people go and do it, not to try yeah. to race at eight, nine tenths, but to even take part in the sort of just be part of the tour yeah. of it all. Well, uh, you know, I think that's probably where it's going to end up. Like it's been amazing for Tasmanian tourism that every, every summer, well, all year, you get groups of car clubs that come down there and drive around our state and over the roads, you know, not not to race but just to drive those roads. You can drive most of those roads and get enjoyment out of them without breaking the speed limit just or without normal, breaking the rules yeah. because they're so twisty and they're, they're, they're small, narrow roads and you can drive a nice performance car on those cars without being an idiot and without endangering other people or breaking the law. So that's the uniqueness of it and we've got to a major part of our tourism is made up of that now and I think it would be sad to see it stop altogether but I can see that it will probably end up a touring event or something. That's only my opinion. Mm. I have no mm. idea really what they're going to do with it but um, the last few years have probably shown that you can't afford to have drivers that are basically amateur drivers or very amateur drivers driving cars that are difficult for professionals to drive on a racetrack, let alone a bumpy bitumen road. And Porsches are a perfect example. They're a great car, but built for auto barns and racetracks. And you put them on a bumpy road like that in the standard condition, and you know you go jumping them, landing them crooked, and that, and you're in big trouble. Mm -hmm. Let's rewind a little bit because we sort of yep. got the timeline along. Let's let's get the touring car thing back. So you said yeah. earlier about selling the Honda Prelude Sports sedan and. All right, touring cars. I'm, you know, so what did you do? I mean, I know you drove for Dick Johnson in his second Sierra at the Enduros that year. Yeah. Were you were you on the phone? Are you trying to make some deals happen? Give me a test drive. Give me an opportunity. How are you how are you going no, about it? There? I never had enough front to do that, and I think my old friend. You were waiting for the phone to ring. John Dixon, I think, um, probably suggested to Dick that 
that I might be worth giving a try. Because those guys did target together, didn't they, in the little laser? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the laser and the barquetta. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's exactly right. I'd forgotten about that. The Dicko <laughs> was the navigator for Dick, yeah. So I think he suggested and, and helped me get that drive with Dick in the second car. Yeah. Sierra. Yeah. Any good? Oh, I thought it was a great car. Like everyone says what a terrible thing they are and we had, it was a very, very wet race in 92 two. Mm. and I was with Terry Scheel and, and it was the first time I'd ever driven a Sierra but I found it pretty good and we progressed up the field pretty well. Um, I think we only qualified 13th or something or 14th, I can't remember. Terry qualified the car because he'd been started, in it before. It, it, there was a problem with it at the start. It had it, it had an electronic problem, electrical problem. There was a, a break in the loom that they couldn't find and it stopped multiple times through the race and we just had to come into the pits and they'd twist the loom. At least the old skyline you could press the button yeah, and turn no, the key and it would this go was, again. This was a bit different. It was a, it was a twist the loom and have a muck around with the loom and the thing would go again. And uh, that was in the days when they were all using those expensive Bosch systems from from Germany and everything cost a fortune where, you know, before we had our Butte Motex made mm. in Australia. Because mm. 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 were you in the car when the rain came at the end? I was, yeah. So I, you, you I ended up down the hill. on Conrod. Yeah. If you look at the vision from back yeah. in the day, everyone remembers Jim yeah. limping with the front tyre hanging yeah. off it and, you know, 10-pin bowling the cars that yeah. were already there and little bugs as Corollas in there yeah. and there's a couple of other cars there. But you're, when that all kicked off, if I remember correctly, the vision shows you further down the road off to the left picking yourself up and getting going. So yeah. you had your own thing separate to all those guys. I reckon, you know, I thought I was nearly stopped, but you know what it's like when you're at being at speed, how your mind's up to speed so you think you're going really slow. And I can remember coming down around Skyline and just sliding down the hill. No grip, just no grip, the nothing. Just, yeah. It was just been a downpour on slick tyres, um, and just slid down the hill. And and I just, um, I think I glanced the wall on the right hand side, and but I was able to keep going. Yeah, got back on the track and kept going. But I think on Conrad, I remember seeing vision of your car getting going again, like you'd been off again down there. No, we only went off the once. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Either way, it yeah. was wild. Yeah. Is that the worst weather you've probably so come did across? did I say Skyline? Forest Elbow. Forest Elbow. Forest that's what Elbow. Yeah, 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 okay. That's yeah, the one yeah, we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Same one. Yeah. yeah, same one. It wasn't Skyline. It wasn't raining there. Mm. It was weed. You got around to Yeah, when Conrad. we got to Conrad, it was. <laughs> all, all to, to um, Forest Elbow, it was, yeah. So the, the Sierra thing happens. Yeah. So that was Sandown and Bathurst yeah. in the second car. So... Touring Cars goes to V8s yeah. for the next year. The Ampole Max 3 Commodore yeah, with Bob Jones. Bobby the legend, yeah. So had you first come across one another back in the Lambden Bow Repairs yeah, days well, because he had he owned that car and was running that car? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think Bob owned that car and I'd got to know Bob during the time I drove with Chris and then he asked me to drive with him in the Ampole Max 3 car. So in these days, these deals for Bathurst and stuff, it's kind of – the privateer blokes all sort of combine in some instances and yep. it's, you know, are you, are you asked to bring money here or are you just like, you're a good solid steerer, bring yeah. yourself, or, you know, we'll fly over or whatever it is, yeah. away you go. That's, that's what how I those had. deals sort and of work. Like it's, that's where I was so fortunate in my era. I was able to do Bathurst from then until, you know, 2001 or something, you know, and either you did it for nothing or you got your expenses paid mm. and you got to race mm. and that's all that mattered. And you finished second, outright second at Sandown. in the Sandown yeah. 500. You two in that. Yeah. I love that car because yeah. I remember it was 
plain black to begin the year. Yeah. But for Sandown, yeah. they put a white with lightning streaky sort of multicolored. It made it look way better. I thought it was yeah. way better. The white wheels. I was there. Yeah. I was there. Yeah, were you? Yeah, well, I was old enough to be there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Used, that was my yep. annual yep. go-to event from Ballarat yep. with my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he went that year. He went with some some mates from school. And um, uh, Jeff Brabham and David Parsons, another Tasmanian, won in Glen Seaton's second yep. car. Yeah. Um, you guys finished second and the Quicks, Brock, second car with Troy Dunstan and Steve Harrington finished third, yeah. having though smoked its way around the last 20-odd laps and mm. I think it was second and it pitted and was smoking its brains out mm. so you guys ended up you, second outright. I mean, all the big teams fell over. In those days, not all of them would go to the Sandown race. Gibsons weren't running at it. The BMWs weren't there. But there was still a good solid lineup of guys and you guys finished second. Privateers finishing yeah. second in a major endurance race. Well, it was, a credit, it was a credit to Bob and the team. Like, Bob was very pedantic and very fussy. Like, he'd, he'd move the truck backwards and forwards 15 times to get it inch perfect when he parked the truck. And the preparation on the car was the same. There, were, Donnie Green prepared the car and he had a couple of other good guys on the car and the, the preparation was, was fantastic and, and we had a reliable car. The only problem we had in that race was I had a seagull fair in the middle of the windscreen with about, I think, 20 laps to go and it caved the windscreen in and we were petrified we were going to be black flag for it. But oh, so it didn't fully No, it didn't come in, but broke. I'd hit a seagull full noise up Oof. the back straight. Um, but we got there and we finished second in the Sandown 500, which was a phenomenal effort for a privateer team. And then you guys finished top ten at Bathurst as well. That you yeah. so your your form is very good. You, whoever you're going with, you're getting top tens. You're getting solid results. So I guess that helps that the phone keeps ringing yeah. because you're not crashing cars. You're getting good results. You know you're pretty. I mean you're a laid back bloke, so you're pretty easy to deal with. So Bob used yeah. to get so annoyed with me because he was pretty hyped up, and they'd have to come into the annex and find me to get in the car because I'd be laying in there having a sleep. <laughs> It's um, I said before about loving that car because I remember he took it to the Ararat Hill Climb yeah. later that year. Whoa, that's some serious stuff when you run a car like that at a, an event like that, which that's actually now got a chicane in it because of John Faulkner running there a few oh, years right. later in a V8 where it all went fast. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. Or so that year in '93 that you and Bob race, Advantage Racing's having its what turned out to be its last Bathurst mm. because Brock goes to the Holden Racing team. Advantage disbands. How do you end up with the Brock car with Tony Scott? How does that all come together for the next year? Well, there were some guys at Bathurst. Obviously, I think the year before when I was driving with Bob Jones and and. Uh, they were. He was a property developer from Queensland, and and he was around. And um, oh, so th- so this is the lead into Pinnacle. I think that was the lead into Pinnacle from memory. And, and they had been involved with Brock and Tony in the twelve-hour right. Commodore. That's that right, yep. running production cars. That's exactly right. And uh, they bought that Advantage car, and then Tony and I just shared it for the next year. It, you know, we. I don't think we did every round of the championship, but we just did it was, some. It was plain white. Yeah, there was not a no, sticker on it. Nothing on Number, it. Number, Shell Australian Touring Car Championship yep. little sticker yep. for the first few rounds. It still had the, like no mobile signage no. with a little black, uh, blue and red 
lines around it. That's right. That was yeah. it. Nothing. That was it. Yeah. So are they, are they funding it? Yep. Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Don't have to worry about putting a sticker on it. No. That's and then we actually built a new car, a brand new car at my workshop in Launceston. Yes, that that's yeah. the car that you did the Enduros with that ended up with the white and black multicoloured colouring on it. That's so, right. So Pinnacle Motorsport was these guys funding it, property developers, yeah. Queensland-based. You built a car in – was it run out of Tassie or did it run out of the mainland? At first or? we ran it out of Tassie that first year. We built it, you know, in a shed out the back of the dealership. And, you know, I had a crew of guys there, terrific blokes who'd been around motor racing all their life and Phil Smith who'd worked in NASCAR in America – Bobby Tyndall was down there. We had just a terrific crew of blokes and built a car that was pretty good and we went to Bathurst and it was pretty good. And I think that Bathurst, I think um, from memory, it was a, a whole HRT engine in it. Um, I reckon it was the last lap it broke the timing chain going up the mountain. You probably know better mm -hmm. than me because I can't mm -hmm. remember these things. But um, we had an inexperienced crew chief who insisted on being on the radio um, who told me to come into pit lane when I was wrong? I'm saying no, I've got to go over the line. It's the last lap to actually be classified. To be as classified, a finisher, yeah. and, and he told me to come into the pits now. So I went into the pits, and we weren't classified as a finisher because you can't finish a race. No, in the pits. well, you can now. I think. I think that the I think Schumacher did that one year in a Grand Prix, didn't he? At Silverstone, he pulled in and to take a penalty, and then crossed the line in the pits and yeah. caused all sorts of But I think there. Bathurst now has the line going across into the pits, doesn't it? So if you go across Yeah, but I think line, you've still got to be on the track. Do you? Yeah. yeah I'm not sure. But it was like but another anyway. top ten, like an eighth was, or something, and yeah. what the prize money would have been would have yeah. Yeah. been handy. Yeah. So this whole pinnacle team thing, is this what you're looking at as this is our touring car, these guys are going to fund us, this is our touring car opportunity to run yeah. our own thing and where did it all go wrong or when did you start to see that this ain't working out. Well, it just uh, after that it didn't work out um, because I don't, I don't know exactly what happened, but they came down and looked at everything and decided that that um, we weren't the way to go and they went took the car away and went to Mike Freeman or someone to run it for Tony full-time. And, and Grice got involved too for a brief then moment. And got involved in it, yeah, and that mm. was sort of the end of it. Yeah. Mm. So it was kind of a... Someone else was paying for it, yeah. ran it for a bit, and then yeah. It's, yeah. Gone. Yeah. it's gone. Yeah. But we put a lot of work into that, and it was a bit disappointing that it went the way it did and ended the way it did. But um, that's just that's life in motor racing. Mm. It was a Denkart car, too. It was it a Denkart shell. Yeah. It was yeah. a really. And that's the funny thing, another funny thing. Georgie Smith from Denkart and I did our apprenticeship together. Oh, we yeah. Were, we were apprentice mechanics in Launceston. He was at Motors, I was at Raymond Manning, but we went to tech together. Yeah. Georgie Smith, of course, who. Worked at with Bondi, with Moffat, Brock mm. for a long time, and um, partnered up with um, Dennis Watson on on Denkar Denka. that built the yep. the chassis for lots of mm. Commodore bodies, and then exclusively for HRT later on in the period. Yeah, good Tassie boy. But just going back to that, like how awesome was that? That in those days, you could if you had a bit of funding, you could actually build a car yourself and go racing. You can't do it now in supercars. And I think that's what's so disappointing about the elite level of supercars now. Mm. So 95, mm -hmm. you bowl out in a Castrol car. You're looking like Larry. Remember that? Yeah, I do. What was the go there? Were you I, leasing a car? I don't or were you... know. I talked to Larry. I can't remember, you can't remember properly. It? <laughs> but I, I know it didn't that, last very long. I know that I, um, I talked to Larry after the pinnacle thing fell over and he said, oh, I've got a car sitting here. He said, 
you can have a run in that. And Gary and Warren Smith, the Holden dealers in Melbourne, gave me a few bucks to run it, and I did a couple of rounds in that. I think I did you did sand, Tassie as well. And did sand yeah. down, and it was wet, and I did quite well at sand down. I think I was certainly at a top ten. Mm. Um, and then went to Tassie and it wasn't so good. Where we made a bad mistake there was I was running on Yokohama tyres that I got for nothing yeah. instead of running the Dunlops that the car was set up for. Yeah. And that was a, that was a crucial mistake. I should have run the Dunlops and paid for tyres instead of being <laughs> tight ass. <laughs> so that deal from 95 stops, yeah. but then the connection with Alcare. Yeah. So it's a John Alcorn from Air, yeah. Alcare who'd been a backer in sports at Dan Days. Is that yeah. where you guys had first come yeah, across? Yeah, well, I'd know John. John had been helping Bobby Tindall, who's, you know, we were great friends and I first met Bob when I took my RX-7 to, to Amaru once and had a little crash and Bob just said, bring it to my workshop down at Brookvale and we'll fix it and went down there and old Bob got into it and fixed it in a couple of hours, you know, and helped us fix it and um, we were great friends after that and he bought John bought that car and I think David Adard was driving yeah. it and David drove it for a year and they went very well in the privateer cup that we used to have then and then they asked me to drive with David at Bathurst and I can't remember where we finished or what I think we it was a the one that had all the valve spring problems oh, that yeah, year. yeah 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 had there were a lot of valve spring problems mm. in those days for mm. some reason. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we did. We replaced valve springs during the race, and I don't think it was a great finish, but um, that was the start of my association with with Alcare. And the door opened for you to become the driver yeah. for 96. So that's the first and I think only year that you did a full touring car championship in, in the Alcare yeah. car. Yeah. And that car's still around. John's got yeah. it. It's back in the colours and yeah. it's been up at um, Muscle Car Masters. But so... You actually, this is your fault. This is your fault. Everything you, is. You, you, <laughs> you helped tee up that Marcus Ambrose had his first taste of a V8 touring car in that car. Yep. It, was it? I mean, he's what, a Formula Ford kid at yeah. this stage? Yeah. Down in Tassie. So we had the car in Tassie getting ready for something and Bob was down there and needed the diff and gearbox run in or something and I was going somewhere and I just thought it would be an ideal opportunity for, for Marcus to do a few miles because he'd been in carts and he'd been in Formula Ford. No, I don't know if he'd even been in Formula Ford then, but he'd certainly um, been driving his father's Nissan and his father and I had always been pretty good friends, you know, and we just thought it was an ideal opportunity for Marcus to do a few laps and he drove the car and Bob couldn't believe, I wasn't there, but Bob couldn't believe how he drove the car. I think he would have been 17, right, maybe 18. Yeah. It was clear. It yeah. was clear. Yeah. So I guess the whole part of that privateer element is the frustration would have always been you can't get the same tyre oh. that the good blokes have got. It's kind of the bane of a privateer's yep. existence. Yep. Uh, since 99, control tyre, everyone's got the same. Yep. It's never been discussed again because it doesn't have to be. Was that the thing that just drove you insane at the time was that you couldn't run the same Dunlop that Dick and Larry did or the Bridgestone that Brocky had well, or the first, Yokohama that Scaife had? At or, first we didn't even know that. Oh, you just thought, oh, well, we just thought everyone had the same tyres and we just weren't as fast and we couldn't set our cars up as well. And then during my time in that Alcare car, there was two occasions when Jeff Moorehead from Dunlop thought I was going okay and he slipped me the good tyres. Mm. And one was at the Grand Prix one year and we, we had top 10 finishes again. But there was a couple of the, the, um, 
senior drivers who were getting the good tyres who made a lot of noise about me having them and he said to me, I mightn't be able to give you these tyres again and then I never got them again until Darwin, I don't think. It was probably the first ever Darwin. Oh, so it's a couple of years down the track, yeah, 98, yeah, the Trust Bank, which yeah. is the same car. Yeah. Wasn't it through through that yeah, I, period? I, yeah, sorry, I get my times yeah, mixed up. Yeah, but there was I only, only ever twice I ever, ever got those good Dunlops and I got the shock of my life. And then, again, when I got an enormous shock about the difference in the tyres in the day, was um, there was a problem with the Dunlop tyres flying apart at Bathurst and they were losing lots of tyres and they weren't going to have enough tyres. And old Mort, we didn't know whether we were going to be able to have enough tyres to do the race and Mort... Um, Graham Brown. Graham Brown from Bridgestone, from Bridgestone yep. said, oh, look, I've got some of last year's or the years before's Dunlop, uh, Bridgestones, you can have some of these. And I put them on the car and I just could not believe the difference. It was like chalk and cheese. Mm. It was just unbelievable, the difference. Mm. So, was, so that private – so you do 96 with the care team. So clearly you're doing your racing and around running the dealership in yeah. Lonnie and Tassie Life and, and business. Did you find it hard to juggle the racing and the business when you were starting to do more racing? Did it all get a bit too much? Not really. <laughs> race car's race car, I love racing. Yeah, well, like when that care car like was run by Bob Tyndall and, and he did a great job of that and – and John and Wendy are just stalwarts of the sport. You know, they were typical of the people with passion that were involved in the sport and they were happy to be car owners and loved the people and loved who they were working with and it was just one big family and everyone was enjoying themselves mm. and it was just a different era. Yeah, completely. Totally different. Yeah, yeah. it's... Mm. What, 25 and a bit years on yep. that, that it's just changed so much. So the Elcare car... Still ran a little bit, I think, the, the following year, and you did the enduros and stuff like that. But then the next year, you shared it with Dean Crosswell, yeah. the Tassie racer. Yeah. So it was the Ericsson Trust Bank yeah. car yeah. that year. Yeah. So just John Alcorn and Wendy were so generous. They said, "Look, you know, we probably can't keep funding this forever. You know, they were getting to the retirement stage, selling their business." Um, but John said to me, "If you can get the sponsorship, take the car and use it. Just give it back to me how it is." and the truck and all the equipment and if you can get the sponsorship, go and do it. So um, between us, I had Ericsson and I had a good association with the Trust Bank, as did Dean, and we got that uh, that money together and shared the car through the championship, did some rounds of the championship and then did Sandown and Bathurst together. And Bathurst is what I want to ask you about. No, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you, you've been a bit reluctant to talk about this over the years, but it's yep. 25 years on and we, we've, we've talked about this before. We've um, sat down to do this. So for those who don't know, um, you guys finished 11th. I looked it up. I, I, no, yeah, you're looking at me strange because you swear it was 10th or 9th or top 10 somewhere, yeah. but it was definitely 11th. Right. But the results show that you're excluded from the results mm-hmm. for the – uh, for an incident that happened up at Forest Elbow where there was a multi-car crash, um, the old Alan Moffat Falcon with Alan Heath in it, there was, I think, Simon Wills, Alan Jones, Stephen Johnson. There was, yeah, piles of cars going everywhere. So you got the blame for that and yep. your car got scrubbed yep. from the results. Feelings, thoughts, 25 years on? Oh, well, feelings and thoughts haven't changed. Um, it was one of those things where if we had a – we had – Judicial cameras in the car, we would never have been excluded. On what basis were you 
booted. I, I was excluded because they said I made contact with Alan Heath going down into or just before Forest Elbow on the little right hand before the before the uh, Forest Elbow. Um, and I'll just go through the story mm. of what happened. We were lapping him for the sixth time in 67 laps. Um, so there wasn't much pace on board that car and I caught him going around McPhillamy and went around the outside of him because I thought he was going so slow I thought he was letting us go around the outside and I think at that stage Larry was in front of me and I know Stephen Johnson was behind me and uh, I went around the outside and he ran me wide. I ran off the outside of McPhillamy. I came back on behind him and followed him down through the S's and down through the S's where it was safe I just gave him a little tap which you do in supercars all the time, or V8s, just to let him know I was there. Not to spin him, not to do anything. I just touched him to let him know I was there. And so then we came out of the dipper and it had a Stone Brothers engine in it and he fired it up. Instead of letting us go past, he just fired it up down there, um, straight, you know, down around the right-hander and halfway around the right-hander before Forest Elbow. I was far enough behind him to to see it happening. I saw smoke come off the back tyres. I pulled to the left and went straight down the inside of him and gone. As he spun As he to spun the right. to the right. Um, if so, I'd have, you're, you're saying, so there was contact but it was further back up the road the, the, and it didn't put him off no, down in the other No, 100%. I've got no reason. If I'd have done it, I'd have put my hand up and mm. said I did it. Mm. I did not. I touched him down through the S's, never touched him again. He actually pulled a gap on me down there. I reckon I was probably, you know, 10 metres behind him when I saw the smoke come off the back tyres and I thought, shit, he's in trouble. So I pulled to the left, went straight down the inside at Forest Elbow and and passed him and didn't know until I saw the safety car boards or whatever came out that there'd been an incident. Um, and it just went on from there. Like when we went to the stewards hearing. So you're thinking, the last thing you're thinking yeah. at the end of your Bathurst day is we're finished, we've had a yeah. great run, yep. we're on the fringe of the top ten, Happy days. Well done, everyone. You're yep. not even thinking that this is even an issue. No, no, except we were told that they were going to investigate it. So, you know, we had the front bar off the car. It never had a mark on it. Um, with no judicial camera. If we'd had a TV camera, we would have got out of it, you know, because we could have shown that I wasn't touching and that I didn't hit him. Um, but there was no way that we could we could prove it. We went into the stewards' hearing. Um, I don't think they listened to anything that we said. So um, you, you were hung, drawn and quartered before yep, you'd even got there? I believe so. Yeah, they wanted to blame someone because it had been such a big crash um, and we were we were hung and they used television footage from the chopper which was back up over um, the S's 500 metres away and so it did look like I was pushing him. Because you know, if you're that, 10 metres from him, you're yeah, not that far yeah, off him. No, that's right. But uh, I never touched him and, you know, then... It got worse because after that, uh, a couple of weeks after that, um, I got mail saying that I was being sued for $800,000 for loss of profits, loss of sponsorship, personal injury, loss of property, and that went on, I think, for two years. From Heath? Yep. Wow. So the judicial stuff all just went, you're disqualified, that's yep. it? Yeah. So you didn't fight that, couldn't fight that? Too well, we did appeal it? it but didn't do any good. Mm. Yeah, nothing. A- and legally did well, that? We never really had anything to prove. Mm. Like I, you shouldn't have to prove but when we went to appeal we probably never had anything to much different to show that we didn't do it apart from the fact we didn't feel that we had a fair hearing mm. at the track. Mm. And is that the only time ever that another competitor has 
sued you? Or, uh, well, it's rare. It's the only well, time I've ever been incident. sued, yeah. Well, from an on-track yeah. Yeah. incident, yeah. You know, things happen in well, business it, all the time. it could but. have been the end of the sport. You know, when you think about it, if he'd have been successful in that. Everyone could sue everyone. Everyone would be suing everyone. We wouldn't have any motor racing because you wouldn't be able to race without insurance and I'm sure the insurance companies wouldn't want to be insuring us. So how did that all end? Well, he had two goes at making it work. Uh, this is, you know, a long time ago. Mm, and 25 just, years ago, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, from memory, um, there were two attempts to get it to court but there was never the, never anything there to show that that we had actually, that I had caused it. And there were other photos and that that came forward from people that were up on top of that rock face to show how far I was behind. Um, and that was about it. It just died in the bum after two goes, I think, of getting it to court. And that's the last thing you really need when, you know, <laughs> it's one thing to be excluded from the race when you feel, when you're like, I didn't do it, it wasn't me. It leaves a nasty taste in your mouth. And then you get that mouth. as well. That's, it, that's it, leaves, it leaves a nasty taste in your mouth and it, and it probably has for the last 25 years. That's why I've been very, very reticent to talk mm. about it. Um, and it's one of those things, you know, it's time to get over it and move on. And It's and, done. Uh, it's done. And uh, the other bad thing about it was Dean Croswell lost Rookie of the Year because of it. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. The car that won the race that day, you ended up with it, the Pertec Stone Brothers Falcon yeah. that Stevie Richards and yep. Jason Bright had yep. used to, to win the race. So was that a case of the, the the Alcorn car, that deal kind of being over or how and why did you end up with a, a Bathurst winner? You should have just kept the bloody thing, parked it up. I know. Would have been yeah, worth well, much more than you bought it for. 110 grand, I think. Oh. I, thought, I thought it was a lot of money then when I bought it. Well, it was. But then I bought it and realised I couldn't afford to run it. Mm. Um, I think I did one round at... Sydney Motorsport Park and sold it to Craig Harris. Craig, yeah. yeah. Yep. Car yeah. dealers doing deals on yeah, race cars. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and Craig's probably still got it to this day and it's it's a uh, – no, he doesn't, he doesn't. He's but it's, moved it's, it's it around. On, yeah, it's yeah. moved on, but yeah. it's, it's yeah. still yeah. around. It's still yeah. around. So the wheels is the next yep, yep. thing. You and Paul had you – know, it was a great combo because oh, yeah. young bloke learning V8s, bloke yeah. who knew V8s, I think you guys did two years together. We did. Good deal. Good good scenario. That was awesome. It was it was probably, you know, it was a, a great time like working with Keys and you see what he's done now with PWR, you know, with their worldwide technology and having radiators in every everything. Single, yeah. Everything. Like Formula, all the way to Formula One. One. Yeah. Everything, you know, and and at that stage Keys had KJ Thermal Industries and and uh, I just admire him so much, like a bloke that had a wrecking yard in Warrnambool who started making radiators on the, at his yard because people were breaking down the side of the road and couldn't get a radiator and uh, to see what he's done today. But I think it was his drive and his innovation that made that little team so good. Like that was under their house up at uh, in the Crumbin Valley and I used to go up there and muck around with it and him and Mark McLaughlin and, and Phil Curtis 
we'd be drawing the front suspension geometry out on the floor with chalk and all this sort of technical <laughs> stuff that we ended up with with car the second car was just such a good car the second the first one was good but the second year the car was just sensational am i right in remembering you nearly made the shootout at Bathurst in one of those cars i think the second year maybe well the second year we were the fastest in the session before before qualifying by over a second on a damp track mm. it was just a sensational car but i think i loved the car because i I did a lot of the testing in it. Murray Coote would come and we'd do the shocks and I did all that. And I suppose I had the car exactly how I wanted it and how I liked to drive it. And I made the shootout for the Queensland 500. Um, but I think we had some brake problems during the race. I can't quite remember. And then Bathurst, I think, was another top ten, wasn't it? Seventh? Oh, one of the years, yeah. I didn't bring all the, the numbers year. with me. But yeah, 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 but yeah. I thought you remembered all these names. Oh, come on, I was, about, like I was about 10. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then the second year, the car, that, that car was completely built, you know, under Keyes' house and uh, it was just a fantastic car, the best supercar I'd ever driven. Mm. Had you turned down any touring car gigs and V8 gigs in that period that we've discussed over the journey, whether it be a full-time thing or a enduro drive that you went no oh, no i'll go here or uh, was there anything swirling yeah i'm i probably made a couple of mistakes over the time no, where life. I, I think you know being tasmanian you <laughs> always doubt yourself why because you're in a small world and you think oh gee i don't know whether i'd ever be good enough to do that and i know my old mate malcolm campbell mm. was exactly the same you know super bike rider yeah i I'm not I, d I just think, like, Wally would wander around and, like, I know that he had offers at different times and he'd just go, oh, yeah, righto, mate, and walk off because, I don't know, we were we were just in Tasmania and we just sort of thought, I don't know whether we're good enough to, to be in that brigade. Mm. I think there was a bit of self-doubt there, certainly on my part. I can't speak for Malcolm, but I know he was a bit the same where he probably knocked back things that he could have taken. One of the other ones I wanted to talk to you about, was that you end up driving with Marcus. Yep. So you, you help open the door to him getting a, a first yeah. drive of a V8. He goes off overseas and does his thing over there and finally comes home to drive for, for Ross and Jimmy Stone. Was it that connection that clicked together for you to join them for that year because you knew him from back in the day? Or? No, it was because of my performance the year before in the wheel car. They'd seen it and gone, yeah. right, we've got to grab yeah. it. Yeah, mm. yeah. But you didn't go to Bathurst. No. You did Queensland? Yep. And then you said, no. What happened? How did that all – I mean, you were in one of the top cars. Yep. Albeit he's a rookie, but he did win a round during that year. Yep. And no one probably had quite done the whole join the dots that he's going to win the championship a couple of times. And yeah. He's going to go to America for 10 years. I think Jimmy and Ross knew that's where he was going to go. They they, yep. they knew where, what they had. Yep. They knew what they had. Yeah. So for those who might not remember, you signed up to drive with him – Matthew White drove with David Bernard, mm. both cars on the front row of the grid for the Queensland 500 and as per the endurance type of thing to get the lead driver in the car for the end, yep. co-driver's start. Mm -hmm. Didn't go the best. It was terrible. And it just didn't But it was te it was terrible before that. Yeah, what, um, what, what, it why, didn't, it didn't work. There, there was no gel. I, I didn't feel like I was welcome, didn't feel like I was part of the team even though that employed me. I'd moved up there for three months. 
Oh, really? Yeah, to make sure I was there. and Away I did from all, business, away yep, from family. Away to from make everything. sure I'd done all the test days and all that sort of thing and it just never worked from the start. I'd been used to working like in a in a, a team like the Wheels where you were part of it, you were engaged in everything, you knew what was going on. It was small. You had an opinion. Yeah. They listened to what you had to say about the car and I went into a situation there where um, you had no input it wouldn't matter what you said, it wasn't listened to. Um, and I did very little miles in the car, hardly sat in the car. I went. It was a waste of time going up there. Um, I would go out in the practice sessions and do a lap and a half and Paul Fogg, you'd say, bring it in now, we're going to do a pit stop. Um, so I never, ever got used to the car. It was very different to the wheel car. And I now know why because Marcus and I are still very good friends and we're still very good clothes close friends and so are our family. So, you know, there's no drama with Marcus mm. and I. It just didn't work. And and it took me years to work out why it didn't work. It, I found out with him mucking around on a simulator, I cannot drive a car how he drives it. You know, I, I had that wheel car set up just how I liked it. To and the, how do you like it? Well, how does he like it, was it? What a, are the it was an old-fashioned traditional way of driving how I drive and, and I'd like to have – you know, plenty of lateral grip in the rear and carry corner speed. And that's how I had the wheel car and it worked for me. And when I got in that car, it was all front grip and no rear grip. And uh, I just couldn't drive it. I just could not drive it. And I didn't drive it long enough to ever get used to it. So the rear was... So loose in the rear, yeah, but heaps of front grip. Front. So years later, and this is when Marcus has come back from America in the last three years or four years... I've been mucking around on a simulator with him and he drives a car where he, he will brake 10 metres later than everyone else and he aims it at a point in the corner and brakes straight into that corner, stops the car, turns it and accelerates it where I would like to I like to drive through a corner so in the old-fashioned style. It was just totally different. Almost like an arrowhead yep. style approach yep. where yep. you're the, you know, the traditional out wide, slow That's it right. down, turn it in. Yeah get it through the corner and yeah, drive but it Yeah, but see, we never worked that out at the time, you know, and if you'd, if you'd had the right engineers talking to you and, and helping you through it, you might have got there, mm. but it never happened. So that's why it just didn't work and I just thought I can't do this and I told Ross that it was no point me doing it. And then they, Were they surprised? Uh, I think at first he was. He just couldn't believe it, but they were also very disappointed in what happened at the – at the 500, I think I started on pole and came in about fifth or sixth into my first stint. But then when we pulled up um, to do the first stop and do a brake change, this is what most people wouldn't know, that uh, they pulled the front pads out and Marcus pumped the pedal and popped all the pistons mm. out. So, you Don't know, mean. there were things like that happened. That was inexperience of, of not doing long-distance races and not doing driver changes and that sort of thing. But, you know, like... The rest was all to come for Marcus, which mm, he, mm. he did everything but win endurance races. Pretty much. Yeah, mm. pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. So you put your hand up, you go, yeah, no, can't I'm do out, it. I'm yeah. out. You know, Bathurst's in four weeks or yeah. whatever it yeah. is in that period. So they end up with Wayne Wakefield. Yeah. I think they talked to John Faulkner. Yeah. He didn't want to leave his own team. To, yeah. Um, he didn't want to leave his guys and mm. what he was working on there. So so that'll happen. But you ended up at Bathurst though. So you ended up with Ross Halliday. Yeah. And then that led to a season in the development series the yeah. next year. So was that almost a bit like this is what works for me? This is the style of racing I like to do with smaller team, 
doesn't come with all that big team grief. Looking back on it now, do you think that's what yeah. kind look, of there was an element? I of that? suppose the SBR thing was the biggest disappointment because I saw it as you know an opportunity for me to move to that next level, and it didn't work out. You know, I'm not not, not blaming anyone. It was my fault as much as theirs, mm. but it just didn't work. Simple as that. It did not work, and I'd knocked back. Um, Dick rang me up and offered me a drive with him that same year, and I'd already signed with S- with Stones. Um, and uh, he'd always give it to me because I'd be walking around at the track in my shorts and he said, what are you doing, Craigie? Aren't you driving today? I said, oh, I'm just waiting to have a drive. He said, oh, my blokes have already done 60 laps, you know. <laughs> so I didn't. Thanks for rubbing I didn't hear in. the end of that from Dick. <laughs> but that, so that's what, that's what happened and that's where it was. And then I ended up, like, I had that opportunity because my mate Terry Little was at – was running Halliday's in Adelaide and he just grabbed me to, to jump in with Ross Halliday who was a very inexperienced driver but they were very keen to do something and it seemed to be quite well funded and I thought, oh, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. I'll mm. go and give it a go. Mm. And mm. then you did the development series the next year. Yeah. Because it, it was Sri Lanka signage on yeah. your Falcon. Well, one it? of the partners in the team seemed to have big connections in, in Sri Lanka and he had some sponsorship from from um, the Sri Lankan Tourism Department. And, uh, yeah, so I drove, which w- it was an ex-DJR car in the in the Konica series the next year. And that year was your last Bathurst, I think, with Phil Skyfleet. Yeah. It was a same team but yeah. 3M green car yeah. later on. Yeah. Was that kind of a case of that's me done for this yeah. style of racing? I've got too much going yeah. on. Or were you, were you not enjoying it off the back of the Stones thing? No, nah, well, it, it, t- it took a lot of enjoyment out of it because for me that was a big failure. It was a, a big opportunity to step forward and it didn't work and that's just life, isn't it? Mm. You mm. try things and you, and it doesn't doesn't work and you've got to do something else and I did that and that was basically like I was starting to get a few years on me then so I, I would have been... Uh, oh, well... Doing the numbers, going back, you about late forties, yeah, nearly fifty. That's right. Yeah. And and I remember in the Conica series, my daughter reminded me of it yesterday when she was reading the questions that people wanted to ask me. Um, so you, you've she, had some pre warning here on our, <laughs> our questions that we <laughs> she, asked. She just said to me the other day, I remember when Paul Dumbrill said to me, Gee, I can't believe this. She said, Gee, you must be your dad must be old because you're older than me. <laughs> so my daughter was older than Paul and I was older than his father. And I was racing against him. So he, he was quite surprised how old I was. <laughs> People won't know how old you are now though, but they're doing the maths yeah, as we yeah, speak right yeah, now, trying to yeah. figure out that. Where does the Viper come into play? Was it because the, the Chrysler connection? Not then. I had no Chrysler connection then. I, I don't know. I, I so you're still the, a Honda man back at that stage? or was yeah. the, 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 So let's go back to the business stuff. So yeah. by the time you stop racing V8s, the business stuff's grown yeah. quite a bit. What level are we at in car dealerships and how many and doing oh, what? No, and I only ever had the one dealership in Launceston. You know, people get me mixed up with Gary and and an old guy said to me on an aeroplane one day, he said, gee whiz, he said, I can't believe how big you are in Queensland. And I said, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> not me. it's not me. Um, but, you know, it's a pretty unusual name. And Gary Crick and Greg Crick, I used to get his cars and he used to get mine and vice versa, <laughs> you know. like So it was, yeah. But I only ever had the one dealership in Launceston. But I did grow it a bit with different franchises in the later years. But then I still only had Honda and maybe Suzuki in those days when I bought the Viper. But the reason I bought that was Ross Palmer was on to me to, to get into the into the uh, Nations Cup mm. um, and 
Jeff Morgan's car was for sale and Barry Jones had built that and prepared it and I, I bought that and that was the first car I'd ever run myself since 1990 or 91 <laughs> in the prelude and I got the shock of my life how much motor racing cost because <laughs> I'd been driving other people's cars. But, you know, I just loved that car and there were some classic races. I had some, like one of the, the Simmons race with, with Stokel, Bow. Brock and myself was just a ripper, you know, and it was one of one of my best memories, you know, not not your greatest race, but one of your best memories of, of, of racing. Like it was just terrific racing. I always say talking about Vipers over the years in commentary and stuff I've done, it's an engine with a bit of car around it. But it was a much better car than people probably totally, ever gave it credit totally for. Totally particularly wrong. that one. Yeah, look, they were a great car. They were a beautiful balance. They're 50-50 weight distribution. They've got good power, unbelievable torque, and they handle, like double wishbone suspension front and rear. They're actually a great car. Mm. So Nations Cup was one thing, but then it died. So the Australian GT Championship sort of spawned yep. out of that. So you were you won the championship in 06? Yeah. So at this stage... Racing's fun again. Yep. You enjoying it again by this stage? Loving it. Yeah. A, like we won that championship. I had a young mechanic with me by the name of David Ringswandle who had worked for Les Walkton in, in rallying and came to me with very no circuit racing experience and we went off and won a national championship together with another young guy out of our out of our dealership used to come with us. And um, that was a that was a very rewarding because he was able to grow and he's ended up a very well renowned car preparer and that sort of thing you know from from what he did then and he he's done a hell of a lot of Targa rally cars and mm. built cars and that sort of thing so it was just rewarding from the point of view of once again having those people around you and the people that you're connected with and a proper team. And racing's fun. And racing's fun. Yeah, you know, it's not yeah. for sheep stations. Nah. It's not for. Oh, I've got to do this to nah. prove myself. It's very to get enjoyable. The next gig and very enjoyable. Yeah. So, the, the Viper thing sort of quietens off a bit, but you still ran that car on. I mean, I didn't end up with the Mopar livery on it. No, that was a new car. That was a different. I, car. I ran that car um, on and off whenever I could afford it. I just did it with what I could afford. I had a little mm. bit of sponsorship from a few different people, and I just ran it whenever I could. Mm. So oh, we, when we sat down to, to talk about this, we, you were having a flick through our Bathurst 12-hour Going Global book, which were uh, the Porsche. You did the 12-hour with David Wall and Barton Moore. So yep. this is a case of picking racing that you're enjoying with people that you want to go racing with by this stage. Yeah, well, they rang me and asked me to do it and, and, you know, like obviously I'd raced against David's father, mm. against Des and... You know, and uh, to go and, and do a race with David was great. And, and Bart, who's a great little man, love him to death. And we just had a lot of fun and we finished fourth. I wasn't I wasn't the greatest Porsche lover in the world. I found them a pretty difficult car, very different to what I'd been used to driving. Yeah. But we finished fourth in the 12-hour and it was a bloody great result and we had fun. And that was when the 12-hour went to GT cars because yeah. it had been a yep. proddy race yep. um, up until then. Tell me about the uh, the Charger, TCM. But people still talk about that car. Well, it's that, one that of the most, started, most popular yeah. cars in TCM. Yeah, well, you go back, sorry, another step. I had the later model Viper mm. after that in yep. the GT Championship and that's yeah, I where. I it was orange and black for a time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was right. when I first had the money from Mopar or Chrysler Australia, Chrysler Jeep Australia. That was when I first became a dealer and, and they gave me some sponsorship to run the 
to run the Viper. So that's how the Mopar connection started mm. in that in that car. And I think we had a you know we had a couple of championship placings, probably third in the championship a couple of years, um, and then we went on to TCM because I thought it was a more popular category. Um, and it appealed to me to go and race one of the old cars and we bought a, a Charger, which in hindsight we should have built one from scratch because we almost completely rebuilt it. And so you may as well have We may as own. well build a new one. <laughs> it would have been far easier. But uh, it ended up being quite a good car. It was it was difficult when we first got it, but it ended up being a pretty good car and we managed to, to win some races in it and especially the, the Sunday morning race at Bathurst was probably the best memory, but that was after I'd been sort of damaged in the GT car in 2014. So um, that was a great car. It was challenging to get it right, but once we got it right, it was a bloody good car and it was a lot of fun. And I just loved the passion of the Mopar people. Like Mm. they were unbelievable. I can remember them lined up at Bathurst to bring their cars in, their charges in to get a photo taken with my car, which we called Alvin. Obviously, after yeah, Alvin Purple. Alvin Purple, yeah. yeah, yeah so. If you don't know younger listeners, look no. it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you love about TCM? Was it that camaraderie and that group of people? Obviously, you get to go up against JB and Madiki and some of those guys yeah. who were who were around. It was the right sort of fit for the time for yep. where you're at. Uh, yeah, for the time in your career and your age, like it was all all the twenty six, pen- all yeah. the pensioners were in there. <laughs> <laughs> but JB, who was. Um, when we were 18, we were both 18, you know, when we were 30. I was 30, he was 25. And when I was 50, he was 42, you know, like it just it's changed. It's a magical stopwatch he has. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how. He just, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't know. work. But, yeah, it was just – it was the right atmosphere. It was the right thing. The fans loved the cars and it was great fun. Mm. You mentioned what I was going to go on to next and it's the topic that I think a lot of people want to, to know about because it's a big part of your, your motor racing story. The best race of your life was also the worst race of your life, the 12-hour yeah. at Bathurst in yeah, it's a bit like Dick and the Rock, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> you did. They didn't send me money. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get on telly and cry. That's what you needed to do. No, but, I could have done. Yeah, yeah mm. absolutely. So, for, so 2014, you're driving for Erebus with one of their Mercedes-Benz SLS AMGs, yeah. the Gullwing Doors, yeah. uh, Jack LeBrock and Will Davison because yeah. it's a pro-am race. Yeah. At that stage, it yeah. wasn't all the pros and the yep. totally factory and three pros per car. So the, we joked about it before we hit the recorder about this, but it was the Launceston car dealer up against the former Ferrari Formula One driver, Mika Salo. You finished third, you're on the podium, hell of a result. But what we didn't know at the time was that race really badly affected your health. You were basically cooked in yep. that race, even though you'd put in this amazing performance that you should be so proud of, yet that's not <laughs> – it's kind of not the lingering memory from it all with what happened afterwards. No, no. I, I'll probably <clears> – <throat> sorry, I'll never forget it as in the best race I've ever had. Mm. But it, uh, unbeknownst to me and everyone else, it was no one else's fault. It was one of those things like it was a 39-degree day yeah, ambient. It was really hot. It would have been at least 70 in the cockpit of that car and I spent, I think it was two hours and 20 minutes in it with no water and no cool suit. They failed? Well, we never had a cool suit. You didn't have one? Uh, Those cars had air conditioning in them, standard, but the factory teams had taken it out, so Erebus had taken them out as well. Because it was weight. Because it weighed 14 kilos, which is probably not much when you you think about it. 1,200 or whatever kilos. And, like, I had no idea that there was anything wrong with me. Um, 
on the way back to Sydney the next day, um, Jack slept in the back because and Will had a shocking headache and I had a bit of a headache. So we all had carbon monoxide poisoning. But you were just thinking a degree off. from a big hot race. No, I, I thought it thought might have been off. a bit of carbon monoxide poisoning because I'd had it before. We used to breathe all that black stuff in in the early days of the V8s. It was just shocking and I had the same symptoms. But anyway, come Wednesday I started to cough and by Saturday I was in hospital, aligning had fallen off my lungs because unbeknownst to me, and at the time we just thought it was carbon monoxide poisoning, but it was worse than that. Because I'd been so hot in my core, I'd continued to cook internally mm. and uh, my organs had started to fail. The lining fell off my lungs, my kidneys started to fail and uh, I had quite severe brain damage, which I think I've still got. <laughs> I've what been, are you some people at? would argue I had it before. <laughs> but, <laughs> Stop but, it. Um, yeah, it was pretty traumatic. I ended up in hospital and then ended up in Hobart. All they could do was put me in a hyperbaric chamber and... and uh, I was down there in and out of that for a couple of months. And you were in hospital for a couple of weeks? In hospital full-time for a couple of weeks, but then after that I was in there daily in a hyperbaric chamber for three and a half hours. And what did the doctors say? Like, how Was this a permanent injuries and a legacy from this that you still have going on? or have you, what, what did they say at the time? Because they're thinking, you did what? You were in a car with, yeah. you know, 60, 70 degrees for two and a half. What? Well, I don't think that at first they didn't work that out I don't early on I think they just thought it was carbon monoxide poisoning um, and was that connected to the fact that in the at the very yeah. start it goes back to the very start of the mm. race I think Jack started didn't he Jack hit a kangaroo, hit a kangaroo. seven minutes into the race right and the top of the hill. a lot of damage on the right hand front of the car and had taken the front splitter off and during the race the right hand front guard flew off as well because the air was getting up under it obviously and um uh, it was obviously the exhaust coming out of the front guards of the Mercedes and it was sucking exhaust gas in the right-hand side window. Mm. Um, so it, initially I think they just thought it was carbon monoxide poisoning and sort of that, that, that the performance of the whole team of drivers in that car to get that to the end like was pretty good as well because it never had any front aero and every time you went across the top of the mountain you didn't know whether it was going to turn at the grate or not because it had no aero on the front mm. half mm. the splitter was missing mm. um so you know it was it was a bloody great effort by everyone to get there and hey, so they thought that it was just carbon monoxide poisoning but subsequently um they sort of started to realize that that it had been caused by my core body temperature not being bought. If I'd have been put in an ice bath or something, if we'd have known there was something wrong with me, I'd been put in an ice bath. I don't think the damage would have been anywhere near as bad. So for the other two, they were clearly exposed to the same situation in the car, but it wasn't the same for them because they weren't in for the same amount of time? Or the Well, I think it was the time that I was in the car in the middle of the afternoon when it was at its hottest for mm. the longest period of time and they were also like Will might have been in his 30s and Jack was in his 20s mm. and I was almost 60. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like, yeah, I was able to get in as a as a bronze driver because I was over 55. That's when JB's cha age changed <laughs> from 50 to 55 when he found out that when you're 55, you're bronze. You, you get de-seated you and you become bronze. And you're suddenly really valuable yeah. to people who want you to yeah. go in with a few bros. Exactly. So in the aftermath of getting yeah. crook off, so – Rewinding a little bit, but in that week after you got home and you know, had a headache, don't feel good, 
what's actually happening? How are you feeling? How are you, you know, you, what's making you start to twig? The- well, I, was so, I started to cough and then I ended up with such a temperature I was just wringing wet like as in and going in and out of consciousness. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so then I was taken to So this is like getting to life death type stuff. This is not, oh, got a bit of a headache, sleep it off for a day or two, it's been a big week at Bathurst, it's been pretty hot. This is serious shit. It's big time, big time. Yeah. One of the things I know you've said around in recent years that the the, the motors and when shit happens in like this, as much as the motorsport community can be absolute assholes to one another <laughs> and, and go at one another in racetracks, tribunals, whatever, when stuff like this happens to people that we really love, you, you know, it's it's amazing what comes out of all of that with, you know, the support incredible. and Absolutely big time. Incredible. Here you were, a little Tasmanian bloke, yeah. no one knows you down there, rubbish. Like yeah. the, the response was amazing, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Mm, mm. Um. How long did it I, take? I actually have a bit of trouble talking yeah. about it. I, I could understand why. You, you, you've got me going as well. How long did it take physically to feel normal, but halfway normal? Like this is a. It was you were out of the car to, for oh. what a fair chunk of that year before you got back in the. I got back in the, the TCM Charger car later that year, didn't I? And one at Bathurst. At Bathurst. Yeah. One at Bathurst. Yeah. 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 So were you still were you back to normal by then, or you're still no. Nah. Not quite. Should you I have should, even been driving? No. Wow. No. Wow. That's I insane. don't. I, I know now. I shouldn't have been. Like I should never have been driving a road car. There was a time when I was using an iPad to find my way home. Because you couldn't remember. I, could, just, I couldn't find my way. I couldn't do anything. Wow. I had pretty severe brain damage, and um, yeah. I don't know. It's how you're travelling now. Well, a lot better than what they told me. Yeah. <laughs> what did they tell you? What did they say? Oh, well, the, the indications were different doctors tell you different things, mm. but you know what they like. They always like to give you the worst. Yeah, they don't go best, do and, they? Though? And the worst thing I had was that, you know, I had quite severe brain damage after I'd done all the neurological tests and some of my abilities were that of an eight-year-old. And In uh, terms of remembering? Oh, and and all the tests doing neuropsychological tests. Yeah. And then I had a brain scan. Um, in Hobart because they noticed that, you know, I was impaired in a lot of ways mm. when I was in the hyperbaric chamber and there was a guy down there, Professor Smart, who runs the hyperbaric chamber. Hang on. Professor Smart. Professor That's Smart. his name. Yep. And <laughs> That's he, was, good. he was fantastic. I like that. And he picked up that there was something going on so I went and had a brain scan. Well, they sent me for brain scans and then they discovered how much brain damage I'd had wow. and that's from multiple concussions and from the carbon monoxide poisoning. But I'd also had multiple concussions, like probably twelve. Twelve in all in racing? No, football. Right. A couple of maybe a couple of little fights over the years. Right. A couple of kickings and all that oh, sort of no thing. Good. But, no you good. know, we all have those sort of things when you grew up in the era that I grew up in. So, yeah, they they told me eventually. One guy told me I probably had three years before I'd need to be in care, and I'd probably have a lifespan of five or six years, and that's now eight years ago. Whoa, yeah, it's nearly yeah. well, nearly ten, nine yeah. or ten. Yeah. I just refused. I was wrecked for a week. Yeah. And then I just uh, decided to dismiss it and get on with it. Push on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. push on, push yeah. on. Well, that certainly was a rough time for Cricky after that 2014 Bathurst 12-hour. Huge kudos to him and thanks to him for opening up and really going into just how deeply 
it really did affect him. Now, we had such a long chat that we've done something that we normally don't do here on the V8 Sleuth podcast, and that is a three-part episode. So don't waste a second. Part three is ready and waiting to go. It is in the V8 Sleuth library. Tune in now for part three of my chat with Greg Crick, and I'll see you there. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tech Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.